going through verse 23. By the way, I am embarrassed to say that uh, regarding the potter's ministry, I've been saying his, uh, I've been saying his, the sort of the ministry verse, the life verses from Jeremiah 18, arise and go down to the potter's house. I actually, I'm very embarrassed to say, I think it's Isaiah 64, which says, but now, O Lord, you are the Father, we are the clay, and you are the potter, and we are the work of your hand. And God has a beautiful work that he wants to do in our lives, but staying on the potter's wheel is sometimes very painful. But he gives us the grace to do that. That's next, um, next Sunday night. But we're in Ephesians this morning, Ephesians chapter 5. We have a lot of ground to cover. So let's go, verse 22, by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul writes, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, as he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones for this reason. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you this morning. Lord, presenting to you lives um, that are, uh, Lord, that just surrendered to hearing your word. Lord, we first want to just acknowledge just the brokenness of our world, Lord, with another shooting in Florida, another mass shooting. Lord, we pray for the families of those who have lost loved ones, Lord. And, and, and we look to you, Lord, because only you are going to fix all this. And so, Lord, we long for your coming kingdom. We pray. We pray that you would teach us about the kingdom today. We pray that that community down there in Orlando would be drawn to the kingdom. And and Father, in the name of Jesus, as I pray as we get into this this subject, Lord, we don't want to take instructions from the world anymore. We've done enough of that. But teach us what this means, Lord, these, these verses. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. 
So there can hardly be a more relevant message to the church today with families breaking down, marriages breaking down. The ramifications are so profound. So we're going to be in uh, a series of messages for six weeks. I'm going to give two messages which are more directed to the husbands. They're for everyone, including wives, but they're more bent toward the husband. Why am I starting with the husbands? Because it has been our experience at Calvary Chapel in our ministry to marriage, and it's, there's been just a lot of ministry to marriage here. that most marriage problems are the result of a lack of leadership on the part of the husband. By far, almost without exception, although there have been a few. So men, listen up. All right. I will be giving two messages more directed to wives and then um, two messages for parents. If you're single here, you should be paying attention as much as anyone else. Because not only may you be married someday, but virtually everything that we'll be talking, uh, talking about will and does apply to certain relationships in your life now. So first things first, marriage. These verses, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. I personally believe that any discussion of marriage must start with a discussion of what the Bible calls the kingdom of God. I think you'll understand in a little bit why as I go through this, but I want to start with a short discussion of the kingdom of God. What is it? And where does marriage fit in? Now, the very first words that Jesus declared when he began his public ministry, they're recorded in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, were about the kingdom. This is Jesus speaking. The first words he uttered publicly, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, turn away from your sins and believe the good news. What was the good news? That the kingdom of God was near. From the beginning of the Bible, the uh, kingdom of God, a huge, huge topic from the very beginning. There's a, there's a promise of God's coming kingdom. Man had messed it all up, but God had uh, started a process of redemption, which we're studying actually on Sunday nights, beginning with Abraham and, and sort of the line of the Messiah. And, uh, and, and huge topic in the um, Old Testament, promise of God's coming kingdom. The inauguration, the, you could say the initiation, but the real words, the inauguration of the kingdom occurs when Jesus comes, when Messiah comes, we see that in a very familiar verse from uh, the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, speaking of kingdom, will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Counselor. 
mighty God, everlasting Father, and then Prince. Here the, the term Prince is used rather than King. Prince of Peace. So when Jesus comes, he starts talking about the kingdom from the very beginning to the end. The phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven mentioned a hundred times in the New Testament. Perhaps the uh, most well-known one is where Jesus is speaking about the kingdom in John 3.3. 3. He says what? Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. A huge, huge subject. So anyway, what is it? What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is a kingdom that promises to his people, that God promises to his people, a kingdom in which Jesus himself is king. The kingdom of God is also called the kingdom of light in the Bible. The kingdom of God will one day replace the kingdom of darkness, which is how the world is described in the Bible. The Bible, the Bible says that God created the world perfectly good, but man, because he rejected God, brought in darkness. But it's referred to as the kingdom of light. The kingdom of God is the kingdom in which God's people will live. Listen. In complete joy and peace, apart from any sin or darkness, a place in which men and women will live completely enveloped, surrounded in the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus will be like the air that we breathe. The kingdom of God will be a place where God's people worship God for the beauty of his holiness, the beauty of his glory, his justice, and his, and his power, and the beauty of his love. The kingdom of God was inaugurated when Jesus Christ came to earth 2,000 years ago, but it will not arrive in all its fullness until Jesus returns, establishes a kingdom on earth, the Bible says, which ultimately will be replaced with an eternal kingdom in heaven. It's big stuff. Kingdom stuff. A hundred times just in the New Testament, not to mention all the references about it in the Old Testament. Again, the kingdom of God, a kingdom in which God's people will live in complete joy and peace apart from any sin or darkness, a place in which men and women will live completely enveloped in the love of Jesus Christ, the, the justice of Jesus, the power and glory of Jesus. It will be like the air we breathe. God's kingdom should be something that we're thinking about a lot. Jesus began the Sermon of the Mount, all about the kingdom of God. Blessed are the sp poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on speaking about the kingdom. So now... Listen very, very carefully, please. Because this is key to what we're going to be talking about today. In order to help God's people, but not only God's people, but the whole world, understand and learn about the beauty of God's kingdom, God has given us certain types, certain 
institutions, certain foreshadow, foreshadowing, certain pictures in the Bible. And one of these is marriage. Pictures of what the kingdom is going to be like in all its fullness and pictures of what it's like now in the hearts of li- and lives of his people. Marriage. It's a picture. Marriage done right. When a husband and wife get marriage right, it's intended to show the world the beauty of God's kingdom. And so, for example, in the Song of Solomon, which is a book in the Old Testament, you have this picture of a king and his wife, and the king is just pouring out his love on his wife. And that's a picture of the kingdom of God, a kingdom in which God pours his love out on you. And so Paul, as well, in the New Testament, writing to the church in Corinth, says this, I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Marriage, husband and wife marriage, is a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and you. We are the bride, the wife, Jesus, the groom, the husband. Marriage done right, done God's way, is a picture of how much God loves you. Now finally, turn with me to Ephesians 5.31. You just may not even have to turn any pages. But this is later on in the chapter that we're in. It says this, for this reason, we read it this morning, A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Marriage done right, done God's way, is a picture of the relationship between you and your Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is a metaphor, a type used throughout the Bible And so we've already talked about the Song of Solomon, but really throughout the Bible, this type, this picture, God is the husband or the groom, his people are the wife, the bride, and that's what these verses are all about this morning. And if you don't understand that, the context of marriage, that it was an institution which Malachi chapter 2 says, God loves it, he loves marriage. He loves the institution of marriage. And he says in there, don't mess with it. Don't mess with marriage. It's an institution that God loves. But supremely, it's about the purpose of marriage is to show the world the beauty of God's kingdom. So I wonder if we took a poll in this room prior to the service. And we ask people, married and unmarried, why get married? I wonder if we took this poll in the church in the United States of America and throughout the world, uh, why get married anyway? What would people say? Well, I want someone to share my life with. I don't want to grow old by myself. I want to grow old with someone else. I want someone to be with at the end of a hard day's work. I want a friend. I don't want to be bored. I want someone's company. I want sexual intimacy with someone. So I want to be married. I want someone to laugh with, to cry with. I want someone to raise a family with. Listen, what God so desperately wants 
you to understand as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ and what you must understand if you're going to have a strong marriage is that from God's perspective, none of those reasons are reasons to be married. None of them. They may be blessings or byproducts of a good marriage, but in God's economy, they are not the reason to be married. In fact, the reasons for getting married are not even about you. Marriage is nothing about you. They're about God. They're about you and your husband or wife reflecting the beauty of God's kingdom. It's about being an example to the Lord of the beauty of a relationship between Jesus and his people. And if you don't understand this, mark my words. You will never be fulfilled in marriage the way God wants you to be. You will never experience the joy and happiness in marriage that God wants you to have. You'll never have the sexual experience in marriage that God wants you and loves you to have. You will not experience to the fullest all those things that the world is so desperately trying to get from marriage and never gets someone to share your life with, someone to grow old with, someone to, to come to at the end of the day, someone who is close, a close, deep, intimate friend, someone to have long-lasting sexual intimacy with, someone to laugh with, someone to cry with, someone to raise a family with, you will not. Know those things in their fullness. Listen, I have personally known at least a hundred, if not hundreds, of marriages between a Christian man and a Christian woman, both who abide, live in Jesus, whose marriages I would describe in this way. Fabulous. Not perfect, but fabulous. Love, intimacy, friendship, joy, and adventure. Fabulous marriages. But listen, I have not been personally acquainted with not even a single marriage between unbelievers, people who do not follow Christ, which are even remotely close to the fullness of any one of those marriages, any one of those fabulous marriages. Now, I've also known a lot of uh, Christian marriages that are lousy. And we'll talk more about them. But you got to get this. The purpose of your marriage is not about you. It's not about you. It's about reflecting the beauty of the relationship that a human being can have with the Son of God. And that is the introduction to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And I pray, ladies, that you grow to love this verse. Not to say. There are women, not a few women, in this church who love this verse. It's freed them. But let's talk about it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
And then again, verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now I'm hoping, husbands and wives, with that introduction, you will not look at verse 22 the same again, ever. That's, what I, that's my hope and that's my prayer. Wives, submit to your husbands. In 2016 in America, in Boston of all cities, for, for the husband, next verse 24, is the head of the wife. That sounds like a digression. It sounds like going 200 years into the past. It sounds like the wife is less important than the husband. Nothing could be further from the truth. The wife is simply fulfilling a role that God has chosen for her to be a picture to the world of the relationship that a Christian has to their Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at the end of verse 22. It says what? It says, wives submit to your husband as to the Lord. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. Your marriage isn't about you. It's about Jesus in Matthew 22, Jesus uh, declares that in heaven there will be no marriage. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I don't like reading that verse. It's a bummer. I'm not, I, I, to to be, not be married to Stephanie for eternity, this, I, 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 I don't like it. But why is that? Why is it there no marriage in heaven? Because in marriage, there will no longer be a need for that picture, a symbol, a type reflecting the beauty of God's kingdom. Because in heaven, you will be in God's kingdom in all its fullness. God's design for marriage will have been fulfilled. So marriage goes away and is replaced by something better. So are you with me? All right. Woman, less important Less spiritual, less valuable? Never. Look no further, by the way, as a comparison um, to the relationship between Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Father. As Christians, we believe in the Trinity. We didn't plan it this way, but the worship team sang about the Trinity this morning. We believe in the Trinity, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons Equally God, but one. But the Bible says that Jesus, the Son, is submitted to the Father. For all eternity, it's been like this. This is Jesus speaking. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Now, would any Christian who knows their Bible ever say that because Jesus is submitted to the Father, he's less important than the Father? That's craziness. Of course not. He is and has been forever equally God, but he has a different role. So just as, as the wife, the same thing with the wife and the husband. Similarly, God created man and women equal. So Galatians 3.28, this is the Holy Spirit speaking. This is God speaking. Paul writing by the Holy Spirit. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, 
Anyone who does their homework knows. Anyone who does their homework knows that Jesus Christ liberated women. Some of you have heard me say this. Jesus Christ is the most famous and successful feminist in the history of the world. I mean, and, and, and look no further than that at the time, the, uh, uh, worldwide, really, except in certain Jewish families, I might add, but, mo- but mostly worldwide, including the Jewish community, Greek society, Roman society, Persian society, Asian societies that predated Jesus Christ. Listen, women had little or no rights. They, they were uh, what was called in legal terms a chattel, a, a, which is a piece of property in, in legal terms. They were chattel. They were treated that way in court. In many parts of the world, a man could beat his wife, enslave his wife, even kill his wife. He would not be punished for it. Why? She was his property. Harems were com- common, where men had dozens of women who are, were his property, and their only function in life was to occasionally have a sexual encounter with a man who owned them. In many societies, men completely avoided women in public. In many places in the world, particularly in agricultural communities, women did all the work. Men, it was a life of leisure. There was a Jewish prayer at the time. Some of you know this. Recited each day by Jewish men. I thank God I was not born a woman, a Gentile, which is a non-Jew, or a slave. This was the reality for women living at the time of Jesus' coming. Now, all of that, that condition, was directly tied to the curse in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, placed in, rather, Adam and Eve, placed in the Garden of Eden. God said to Adam, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The serpent tempted Eve, or what did he say? Did God really say... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. We know from Revelation that was Satan speaking through a certain, rather through a serpent. How did Eve respond? She said, we may eat. This is the way she never talked to the devil. Don't reason with the devil. You don't do that. But she did. She said, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God has said, you shall not eat or you will die. What did the serpent say back to her? He said, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. That sounded really good to Eve. Wow, to be like God, to be my own God, to throw off the authority of God over my life. She ate the the fruit and and then she gave the fruit to Adam. He ate too. Men have been doing it ever since. Becoming their own God. That's the nature of sin. Eve was, each was given a curse, Genesis chapter 3. The serpent, Adam, and Eve. What was, the, what was Eve's curse? Because of time, I need to limit this just to the curse on Eve. It said, God said to her, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That's a curse. That's the curse. Now, if the truth be told, what we really should all be promised, every single one of us, for substituting God for 
ourselves and putting us in God's place. We deserve death and hell forever. Almighty God substituting him, but instead there, were, there, were, there was judgment. There was punishment. God is just. He doesn't wink at injustice, at rebellion. And this was it for Eve. Among other things, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And from that point on, that has characterized the life of women. But listen, Jesus changed the course of all that. The Bible says in Galatians 3.13 that Jesus became a curse for us when he died on the cross and in so doing took away the curse. And so again, that is why, they, uh, why we are told that in Christ, again in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, women, again, do your homework here. Unlike any other religion at the time, really, um, uh, in the same way, women, uh, if you study the Bible, women were given a prominent and a visual role in Jesus' life and ministry. Women were part of Jesus' ministry team in the book of Mark. It says this, there were also women who also followed him and ministered to him. And, and by the way, it was all marked by utter, total holiness and purity. There were women in prominent places in, in ancient religions, but it was all about sex. Do your homework. Not so, not so with Jesus. They were a part of supporting the Lord Jesus himself and ministering to him, and instructing others, and a huge role for, for women in the Bible. Women were, not, were the only ones at Jesus' side when he was dying. The men had scattered. They were all hiding underneath a bed somewhere in Jerusalem, uh, with the possible exception of John. But women were the last to leave him after he was dead. They were the first to arrive at the tomb. They were uh, the first to be greeted by him when he was resurrected. Think of that. One of the most powerful pictures of Jesus is in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. Jesus asked the woman for a drink, and she was shocked. How is it that you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Men didn't talk with women. And and, and they were living under the curse. Women were beneath men. At the time, that scene, a Jewish rabbi talking with a woman was shocking. But Jesus has made all that normal. That scene normal to us today. Christ made women spiritual equals. Of course, they've always been that in the eyes of God, but he made sure that was acknowledged as true in the word of God and with God's people. So, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And verses like it, there are five. By the way, please don't go down the road that this is all cultural. That's nonsense. There's five other places in the New Testament that look exactly this verse. And it's connected to the creation of man and woman and their roles in Genesis chapter 2. This is a picture of, of beauty of holiness, of pure, beauty of the kingdom of God. But in light, but need to be understood, they need to be understood in light of God's view of marriage and the kingdom. So again, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So let's start talking turkey now. 
Let's get down into the nitty-gritty of life. Virtually every time a married couple is in our office for marriage counseling, the husband, it becomes evident that the husband has a wrong, twisted understanding of what these verses mean. Almost every single time. There's crisis in marriage. The husband has a wrong, twisted understanding of what these verses mean. So what do they mean? Or may, uh, maybe a better way of putting it, what does this look like in a marriage? So if you're taking notes, and guys, I hope you're taking notes. If you're taking notes, write this down. First and foremost, any reading of Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, must be read alongside Ephesians 5.25, which says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So, so, husband, so, so wives, submit to your husbands, cannot be understood unless it is read in the light of husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. Everyone with me? Okay, Pastor Steve, sounds really nice. Could you bring it down to earth now? Give us an example of what that means. I will do that. I will do you. I will give you a real life example. When Stephy and I moved to Boston 19 years ago, I was born here. I moved away when I was nine, spent my, my summers here, but moved, moved back uh, about 19 years ago. We set out looking for a house, and we found ourselves, I don't want anyone cheering, in Dorchester, looking for a house. Okay, you're behaving yourself. Wow. And we were in the Savin Hill area, in that little neighborhood on the other side of 93 by the water. It's where we had our last church baptism, for those who were there. Anyway, so we found this house in this little neighborhood. And man, this house was, it was just a perfect house on a quiet street. It was right across from the street was a park. And when you got in the park, you walked up a really steep hill. And on top of the hill, there's just this perfect view of Boston. Oh man, I'm into views. And, 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 and this was it. This was the house. We were going to buy this house. And, all right, this is incredible. I love it. And, and so Stephanie said, let, let, let's put an offer. We're going to put an offer on this house. Let's not, talk, let's not act too excited. You know, in front of the, the, the seller. But this is it. Stephanie was like, nope. Sorry. We're not buying this house. What? It's perfect. The neighborhood is so quiet. There's a hill in front of the house. It's by the ocean. You can walk to the ocean. Nope, sorry, let's go. I'm not living on, in, in this house, not that one. Get in the car. <laughs> this type of thing. Question for you all. Was my wife living out Ephesians 5.22? Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Little warning, guys. Before you're shouting out an answer, she's right there. She's sitting right back there. 
Was she living out Ephesians 5, 22? So, so here's the answer. The answer is this. That whole incident of Stephanie shutting me down on Savin Hill sounds like a rap song. Where's Steve Drake? He just left. What's up with that? I mean, but, but uh, the whole incident really has nothing to do with Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your husband. It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. If I love my wife like Christ loves the church, am I really going to stick my wife in a house that she's in all day, not me, because I like walking up a hill that's in front of the house? The hill's not in the house. It's in front of the house. (laughs) Am I going to force a house on her because I like, you know, the fact that I can walk to the ocean? That would not be loving my wife like Christ loves the church. Another example. So we wind up getting a house. The house is on top of a hill. The top floor of the house is my office, which overlooks the city of Boston. Guys, listen to your wives. (laughs) Listen to your wives, guys. I don't have to walk up a hill anymore. I just look out of my office to see the city of Boston. And after about five years, the church begins, and with the price of office space in Boston, we have not rented office space here, so the, my office is my office on top of my house. It's overlooking Boston. Anyway, here's the deal with this one. In order to get to the office, I have to cross through the girl's bedroom, two of my girls. And periodically, I'd have meetings with some of the leaders in the church there. And the girls, you know, would be sleeping. We'd creep through the room to the office. Now, this is not a problem when the girls are three or four years old. It is a problem when they're eight or nine. And so, but what do I know? I'm a guy. Hey, guys, we need to have a meeting. Let's go up to my office. <laughs> so Stephanie one day's listen, no more meetings in your office. The girls are no longer four or five, year old, five years old. You need to find someplace else. Question. Was she living out? Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your husband. Actually, that incident has nothing to do with that verse. What it has to do with is husbands love your wives. Husbands Love your wives, which, guys, includes, listen, appreciating them and loving them for the prophetic voice that she has in your life. My wife has saved me from a world of pain, uh, just a world of pain and, and, and just foolishness. Guys, you need to be encouraging that voice, not stifling it. Wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. I can't tell you how many men read this verse 
And they think, cool, man, this is incredible, this is awesome. Anytime I'm in a disagreement with my wife, she's got to submit. I want to go to Chinatown for dinner, she wants to go to the North End. It's Chinatown, baby. (laughs) If I want wallpaper in the house with Harley Davidson motorcycles, she wants pink flowers, bring on the motorcycles, man. I want to vacation in Puerto Rico. She wants a vacation in Puerto Cape Cod. It's the Caribbean, baby. No. Are you crazy, guys? Are you crazy? Christ and the way he loves the church and gave himself for her. That's how you love your wives. Sorry, man. It's Puerto Cape Cod, dude. (laughs) The pink roses on your wallpaper. Okay, you need to, like, talk about that one. I mean... (laughs) So, okay, okay, okay. So then, really, what do these verses mean? Why submit your husband? Supremely, husbands, listen. This This is the meat of this message. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. First of all, note, husbands, that's written to women. It's not written to you. Anytime, you know, I hear a guy, you know, in counseling, she's not submitting to me. You know that verse about wives submitting to your own husbands? You know, it occurred to me Last year, the year before, I turned to my wife. She was counseling with me a, a couple. I said, I said, Stephanie, how many times in 25 years of marriage have I quoted this verse to you? She said, never. Now listen, you guys know my faults. I talk about them all the time. But the Lord has spoken to me in this way. If a why, if, uh, this, this verse here is really written to women to wives. It's not for men to beat up their wives with. And if they're at the point where they're having to quote it, maybe, or I would actually say more probably, they are behaving in such a way that does not demand or earn that submission. So then... What is the heart and soul of the verse? Husbands, it's directly connected to you being a leader spiritually and your wife following. Listen, it means being the first to forgive when you have an argument. It means the first to swallow your pride and say, I'm sorry. It means being the first to serve in your home the way Jesus served at the Last Supper supper when it says his disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. And so what did he do? He got up, took off his... Um, outer garment, put on a towel, and wash their feet. That means you guys, you husbands, being the first to go there. Say hello to Mr. Diaper. (laughs) Guys. How many diapers have I changed? Carl Sagan actually said it. Billions and billions. Seems to me the first step... uh, Rather, let me back up. It means, guys... Being the first to set up Jesus Christ as the priority of your family's life. Not going out and making $250,000 a year so your kids get all the things you didn't get. 
but it means putting Jesus at the center of your family's life. It, it be, being the leader when it comes to setting devotion time. Being the leader when it comes to uh, going to church and, and serving at church. Being the leader of living a life of grace. I, just want, I had a wonderful conference about 10 years ago up in New England. It was a New England pastor's conference, and Pastor Bob Call was there from Idaho, and it was all about grace. He calls himself the grace alcoholic. The grace, the grace-aholic is what he calls himself. He loves grace. And, and at one point, a woman ans- uh, raised her hand, and she said, Oh, come on, Bob. You learned everything you know about grace from your wife, didn't you? And you know what he said? Just phenomenal. He said, when I met my wife, she didn't know anything about grace. I had to teach her everything she knows about grace. And she attested to that fact. She was there with us. Everything I knew about grace, Bob taught me. Being the leader in your home means teaching your wife about grace. What is grace? Giving something to someone that they don't deserve. Which is all about the cross, right? The Bible says that while we were yet enemies of God, Jesus died for us. Grace, being a leader in your home, guys, and and you establish, and she follows. And listen, ladies, you need to follow. You need to submit as under the Lord. And when you do, it's a picture of the beauty of God's kingdom. It's It's a picture of the beauty of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. It's what makes being a Christian so attractive. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your husbands supremely. Husbands, that, that means that you need to set the direction for your life and family and ministry, for your kids. Now, let me give you a, a goofy kind of life example, and then I'll give you a more weighty one. So I, the Lord spoke to me very early on about the direction I felt he wanted for our kids. And so one of the goofy little issues that came up we live a few blocks from here, is that the kids, when they were like 9, 10, 11 years old, they wanted to go out and walk around Boston. What? you got to be kidding me. They go to mom, no, you're not going to do that. They go to dad, yeah, go for it. <laughs> it's midnight. Walk up Huntington Avenue. And listen, Stephanie was really, really opposed to that. (laughs) She was really against it. But I really felt like, no, this is what we need to let them do. Now, they did have a 185-pound Newfoundland dog with them when they went out at the time that was our dog, but they still can go out today with our little runty 20-pound it's not a mud, it's something else. But, uh, uh, but, but uh, let me get to where I'm going here. She was very much opposed to that, and they left, they would go at midnight in the middle of Boston, right, right out and through the city of Boston walking. And the Lord told me early on that I need to teach my kids to pursue an independent, adventurous life. And I also, the Lord, the Lord just spoke to me that as children of Christian parents, they get a lot of restrictions that other kids don't have. 
So why not let them be able to go into school and tell all their friends, yeah, my parents let me go out at 12 midnight and walk around Boston. <laughs> and so they did. And you know, look, things like that, and the same thing happened when we, when we sent them, when we started accompanying me to Haiti, I would take a, a kid and when we started going down there, the kids were small, one or two would go with me, and it, when you read the travel warning about Haiti, it literally said, unless you absolutely have to, do not go to Haiti. There's kidnappings there when uh, girls are kidnapped there, sexually assaulted, but Stephanie was not comfortable with that. But I knew that that's what the Lord had spoken to me, that I had to do. I'll give you a weightier one, just the call of God into ministry has been excruciatingly hard on my wife. I remember when the early days of the church where um, the heart of Saturday, every single Saturday, 52 weeks a year, rather take away vacations, probably something like 48, 49, but Every single Saturday, the heart of the day, whatever, from 2 to 10 p.m., I'm up holed up in my office. Now, let me tell you, when that started, she was not a happy camper. This was excruciatingly hard. We had some really hard moments in our marriage. But let me tell you one thing about my wife. She has never pulled me away from the call of God. And ladies, don't you do that to your husbands. He's going to get some things wrong. But the one thing that was where my wife broke free is that when she understood this picture of marriage, where wives submitting their husband is a picture of the beauty of the relationship between um, uh, the church and us and you and me and Jesus Christ, it was so freeing to her. It was so freeing. It was no longer her responsibility if I got things wrong. And she could just release that and listen. This is so important. This is where you want to get, ladies. It was an act of worship when we needed to do something that she was not in agreement with. So I need to close up now. We'll be continuing this next week. But you got to set the vision for your family. You need to be the example in your home of ministry. And by the way, guys, that doesn't mean your wife may not have a more prominent role in the world than you. Listen, if, it may be that your wife has been called to be mayor of Boston, governor of Massachusetts, president of the United States. God that it would be so with some of you ladies. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I thank God for a man by the name of David Arthur. He's the husband of a woman named Kay Arthur who has had such a profound impact on tens of thousands of families in the world. She's the one in the spotlight, not him. I'm so thankful for that man. He's in charge of the home. But he's recognized the role, the calling of God on his wife. And I'm so thankful for him. But listen, there's so much at stake here. There's so much at stake you know, for those who start getting catty and saying, oh, well, you know, this is old-fashioned, this is not true, we shouldn't be doing this, we've grown beyond this, let me tell you, you get a lot of explaining to do. Because 
Before 50 years ago, before about 1960, no one had a different interpretation than this verse. You would have to search far and wide to find a commentary that had a different interpretation of this verse. But now, oh no, it's a cultural thing, you know. 50-50 marriages, listen, let me tell you, 50-50 marriages are a recipe, a formula for divorce. So 50, about 50 years ago, 1960s, it all started to change. They started watering down these verses, saying, oh, that's, that's um, old, it's old-fashioned, we're not like that. And look what's happened. Look what has happened. So we have in our church, Calvary Chapel in the city, many over the years have come from families where there's multiple siblings, brothers and sisters in the house, all with a different father. Where are the fathers? Nowhere to be seen. Why? You tell a man he doesn't have to be a leader in his home, he's out of here. If, if you tell a man, oh, this is 50-50, he's gone. And all the statistics are on my side. The Bible, Jesus says, wisdom will be justified by our children. Look what it's produced, watering down these verses. So there is so much at stake here. Listen, we can agree and stay in fellowship. I mean, we can, rather, we can disagree and stay in fellowship, but I challenge you to really get into the Word of God and seek the Lord on this matter. So I'm going to call the worship team up at this point, and we're just going to end the service with a worship song and also with prayer. If you've been asked to pray, please get up. Listen, if guys, husbands, or wives, if there's something in this message that really struck you, that, tore, that sort of tore at your heart, that pricked your heart, and you'd like to pray about, come up. And let's pray about it now as we, as we do this. This is what we do at, the, at Calvary Chapel at the end of the service. We just have an opportunity for people to worship, but also the worshipers, if you want prayer to come up. If you want prayer for your marriage, come up. If you have another marriage in your life that you know, uh, another marriage of a family or a loved one that you know is just really suffering, come up. Just pray about it. So why don't we stand? I'll close in prayer. And we will close the worship service with prayer and worship. Father, I thank you for this word. And Lord, we, we thank you just for the, the richness of your plan. And just for many of us taking the blinders off our eyes and showing us the kingdom life, the real life, the life that we can be blessed by but used in. And Lord, it's not about us. Lord, you say we have an example, a supreme example. And that example is of a man who hung on a cross. Lord Jesus, we thank you. It says that it was for the joy that was set before you. The joy of seeing your glory in us. The joy of seeing your glory in marriages. The, the, the joy of seeing your joy in the church that sent you to the cross. And oh, how you died in our place and suffered and died for us. 
and came at a time when we deserved it least. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you that death did not keep you, that you rose from the dead, you ascended into heaven, now you pour out new life in us, which actually empowers us to live this life we've talked about, Lord. We thank you for that. And Father, we pray all this, all this in Jesus' name, just by your grace, help us worship now. Amen.